sort of the premise of this session, but I'm going to give you some background on sort of where the game came from uh, to start off. Uh, to introduce myself, I'm Kate Burgess McIntosh. My background as an undergrad is fine arts and art history, so I come to this as an artist, um, which is really interesting because a lot of the futurists that I interacted with over the last few days that have been uh, working and doing presentations here uh, have some background in arts too, which is just sort of an interesting combination. Um, I then got my master's degree in museum studies and am now currently studying through the University of Houston, um, specifically in their Foresight program, which formerly was known as a Future Studies program. Um, future Studies probably sounds a little bit like a laughable concept right now, but I promise you that in a few more slides we will uh, try to dig into it a little bit and make it a little less uh, sort of off-putting. It, it kind of sounds like a you expect me to pull out a crystal ball while we stand here, right? I mean, there's all those, those various different things that people think. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about that. I also have with me Ron Potvin, who's sitting over at the front of the room. He's mainly here as an instigator while we play the game because I am not the only person, I think, that um, is able to tell you that you should really be thinking differently about your historic sites and approaching uh, programming and interpretation and education in, in different ways. Um, so he's here because he has had experience doing some interesting projects um, in history-related sites, and so I thought he was a really good person to bring in and, and sort of help as we play the game down the road. So futurist, right? We all think, ooh, futurist, cool title, right? Uh, basically, uh, futurist really stems out of a few different concepts. Um, futurists typically have some background or some understanding of business. Futurism uh, has a lot to do with business and commerce. Um, also, you frequently see people that are involved in marketing be sort of drawn to futurism. But interestingly enough, anybody out there who sort of stops and sits still and ponders what will come next is to some extent a futurist. Um, the industry is moving away from using that term futurist and looking more at foresight because the word foresight more easily describes sort of that instantaneous hit, um, what we're trying to do. Um, futurists can be academically trained. Uh, University of Houston is one of the most well-known programs in future studies. They do a full master's of science degree. Um, but they also have offered uh, certificate programs, both graduate certificates and sort of week-long programming that they will either travel to you or you will travel to them or another site either throughout the country or the world at this point. Um, and there also are programs or beginnings of programs at Regis College, College as well as um, a university out in Hawaii. So it's still a very sort of niche market, very small group of people that are involved. Um, however, it, it is a group of people that are trying over time to become more and more professional. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure you've all noticed over the last few years in the museum field specifically, the sort of rise of talking about futurism or future studies. Um, the fact that the uh, American Alliance of Museums has created the Center for the Future of Museums and is really looking at trends and horizon scanning and a lot of these terms that I'll talk about. Um, you can see that it's definitely growing. Um, a lot of us that are in the sort of futurist realm are hopeful that things like big data and looking to the future that seem to be becoming bigger and bigger um, sort of issues for, for the business industry will enable us to continue to keep doing this work. Um, so it's definitely something that I think we're going to see sort of more grow. A lot of very large companies like Ford uh, actually now have trained futurists on their staff that they literally have their corporate futurist who's in the house um, looking at trends. Um, and having met Cheryl Connolly, the, the futurist of Ford, what's really interesting is she doesn't really pay attention to developments in cars. She really doesn't care about cars. 
she actually, as a futurist, more wants to look at what's going on in other industries to be able to bring that into the car industry. Um, so really sort of interesting to be thinking about outside realms and how they affect what you're specifically doing. So this is our fabulous cone of plausibility. Anyone who's ever done some reading on futures is probably familiar with this graphic. Um, I tend to like to think of it as a really easy way to remember it is a martini glass, right? It's a crooked martini glass. So the base of the martini glass, that triangle at the bottom, that's the past. That's the stuff that's already happened. It's done. We know sort of what went on. We may have first-hand accounts. We may have um, someone who's written down that history. We may have letters or diaries or journal. That's all the stuff that the people in this room are very, very familiar with, right, the past. Now, what's interesting is as we move into the future, what futurists do is very similar to what historians do. It's just the opposite on the timeline. So you'll see where the glass would narrow if it were martini glass. That's the present. That's right now. And as we go further along, there's what we call the baseline. And that is things that are going on now that are likely to continue into the future. So for example, into the future, most likely, we're all going to wake up every morning, right? At least for the immediate future. We could say over the next five years, everybody in this room, hopefully, we, you know, we hope, will wake up every single morning. That's sort of a, a given. That's the baseline. Um, we think that over the next five years, we will most likely elect another president in the United States. Sort of a given, right? I mean, it could change. It definitely could, because anything could change. Um, but things that are, are highly likely to not go away, or highly likely to not significantly change. Because you have to think that in every era, as things change, as many things stay the same as change, if not more. Um, and then as you move along, you sort of get into this idea of the limit of plausibility. As futurists, we come up with really wacky, crazy ideas, really insane things about what we think might happen in 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years from now, right? But the thing is, what makes them plausible or believable is there's some kernel of truth, some bit of research or information that goes into what we do that makes you believe that they're possible. So to some of us, why sometimes they make us uneasy, um, say, for example, a utopian type of idea, a happy idea, what's the opposite of that? Dystopia, right? So some of these movies that we watch that, you know, a major metropolitan city gets destroyed. I don't know if anyone just saw the movie that came out that people invaded the White House, right? Why that sits uneasy with us, even though it's unlikely to happen, why that's an uneasy feeling, is because there's enough truth to it, enough that of the things that we see on a regular basis, that it is, it's plausible. It's, it's very potential that it's going, it could happen, not that it will happen, but that it could. Um, so in all cases, as futurists, we're not necessarily trying to change the future, but we are trying to direct people to preferred futures. So if we know ahead of time what could potentially come along on the horizon, in theory, we could help to steer what may occur and really move towards what would be preferred. So, you know, if we were scanning and we found out that down the road it, was, it seemed very, very likely that museums would be extinct, everybody in this room, if you had that sort of little kernel of knowledge that museums could disappear, wouldn't it be great to stop now and consider that and think about some, some alternatives, some preferred futures for that, right, so the field doesn't disappear. Does that make sense to everybody? I don't want anyone to fall asleep. This is a bad time of the day, I know. Um, I should have brought candy. I thought of it when I was in last session. So um, the other big thing about being a futurist is, is thinking about lots of different alternative futures. So the reason why every time you see the word future, you don't see future, you see futures with an S, is because I am not predicting the future. 
I am basically predicting to you or talking to you or prescribing to you or having conversations with you about what could happen. And I don't want to say one thing is going to happen. I want to say many things could happen. So also really important, and you're going to see that asked a lot. A lot of people think that that's a typo, but that's a very deliberate, intentional thing that we do as futurists. So what do we do? There's lots of different methods for future, for future studies and futurists to use as they're uh, beginning to try to think about what could happen down the road. Many of these are actually very, very, very comparable to historians' methods, believe it or not. Um, if you think about it, things like framing, I mean, don't historians sort of frame issues, right? If you're getting ready to make an exhibition, you pick a beginning point for your exhibition, right, and an end point. You pick those cutoff points or else you could be researching for the rest of your life on some topic. You have to kind of decide where you're going to start and where you're going to end. Um, scanning, a lot of times, is sort of comparable to uh, keeping up with historical text. So scanning is generally looking through current publications or even sort of fringe publications, maybe following tweets and seeing what people are talking about. Um, things like trend analysis, trend monitoring, trend projection, a lot of that is very similar to looking at errors in history, right? I mean, I think historians frequently are looking at trends, past trends, trends that have already gone by, but looking for those patterns. Um, acting, polling, planning, all sort of similar things to historians, right? You might do polls of uh, historic documents. You may go through and see how many people mentioned something in letters that came out in a certain you know, 10 year span. That would be sort of historic polling because you can't really go ask those people, right? Are we awake? Right, okay. <laughs> Whereas today we could go out and ask people you know, a series of questions because obviously they're accessible to us. Um, brainstorming, obviously very familiar. Modeling, fairly familiar to the history field. Gaming, um, historical analysis, so futurists spend as much time looking back as they do forward. Um, big advocates for understanding the past to be able to understand what could happen in the future. Um, visioning, forecasting, and scenarios, those are the three that start to kind of diverge from the historical traje trajectory. Um, but visioning a lot of the times is, you know, looking into the future and what could potentially happen. Um, forecasting is taking some little kernel of information and then projecting where it may go, um, very similar to weather forecasting, but on a, a much grander scale. Um, and then scenarios, which is what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today, because that's sort of the method we're going to use to think about um, sort of big ideas for historic sites. Scenarios are, are entirely kind of a fun thing that I think that could be endlessly helpful for people that are in the museum field, especially historic sites. So one of the big things to always remember that futurists do, futurists always turn to steep. Steep stands for science, technology, economic, environmental, political, okay? I like to add in like an extra letter somewhere because I also kind of watch arts and culture, but that's, and there are many other futurists that add an A in somewhere, so we get like STEPA, I don't know. But we can't get up with a new, uh, come up with a new acronym and maybe I'll do that down the road. Um, but the thought is, as you're thinking about what you're doing, you're looking far and long and wide. You're looking way beyond your industry or your market or your audience to see what's going on outside of what you're doing as reference points for how you can adapt to be able to fit into a world that will be different in the future. So basically, scenarios are stories. I mean, there's, that's the simple, easiest way to describe it. Scenarios are stories. Um, basically, you take a, you, a trend that you're seeing, or you see a strategy that's beginning to develop, or you have a specific event, and you flesh it out. So if I was scanning 
recently. I actually saw an article about a city planner, I'm not going to get into details because it would get too, too tricky, a city planner who's going to partner with Etsy, and is, Etsy's going to come in and actually teach courses on being an entrepreneur, basic business courses within this city. And so a maker environment is already sort of popping up in this city, so there's already a lot of people that have some experience with Etsy. So there is that peer-to-peer -peer network already kind of occurring. And so they could, this is going to be capitalized by the, the city-run government to be able to sort of be pushed and be a citywide project. Well, really interesting, right? So if I wanted to encap, you know, kind of grow off of that idea, maybe I would tell you a story about Etsy City, right? Maybe I would tell you a story about that instead of going to CVS, right, you go into an herbal medicine store that a maker has made all of the medications that are in that store. Or maybe I tell you about how instead of your, you know, your kids going to uh, an after-school program at, say, like the YMCA or, or a, a daycare program, that they go and hang out with an artist for three or four hours after school, and every day they learn some important craft, cool thing that takes, takes up their time, but then, uh, interestingly enough, at the end of learning their craft, they then know how to go to the Etsy website and list their own stuff online, and instead of getting an allowance, they're getting paid off of selling little crafts on Etsy, right? Not inconceivable, kind of out there, but I could keep going on and on and on about this story, right? All it takes is a little tiny piece of information that you then sort of incorporate out. Um, so basically, you're really looking to try to consider what might happen based on something that you're seeing happening now. And why this is important is this is what's really going to shape this game. Um, so basically, you're going to be given the equivalent of three scanning hits as an individual. Um, you can work by yourself, or you can work in a group with people at your table, or a pair if you want to work in twos. Um, I understand if people want to work by themselves, that's perfectly fine. And you're going to have to really kind of develop a scenario out of your three pieces of information. Now, your scenario, unlike the scenario that I just wrote, is going to be very museum-centered, right? So your goal is to take those three pieces of information and come up with an event, an activity, interpretation idea, an exhibition, something really cool and out of control and wild and big that your site can do. I don't want to hear anybody in here saying we don't have the money. I don't want to hear the board would say no. The whole idea is that you are in a sacred space and none of us are going to make fun of you and say no. So the wild and crazier your idea is, the better. So Ty basically takes traditional, innovative, and everyday and pulls them together. Um, this is a game that I personally developed and made up after the first time I heard about scenarios in my first futurist class. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I feel like museum people would love this. Um, and so traditional, innovative, and everyday are three things that I think really strong programs, really strong exhibitions have interwoven into them. Um, so traditional is sort of the things that we have always done traditionally, okay? Um, innovative is things that are kind of on the, the horizon, things that have begun to be done by some organizations, but not every organization. And every day is really the thing that's the kicker. As an interpreter, I used to love telling the stories about how the little bread oven was like a microwave, right? Or the bedpan, yeah, that's your bathroom. Or, you know, these different things that you connect the past to the present. So I'm going to challenge everyone in the room to try to connect their idea to the present. And I think that's one more, more sort of layer 
that will make it a little bit more challenging. So traditional things, things like fundraisers, you know, things that we traditionally do, write exhibit labels, self-guided tours, you know, these are all things that we're very familiar with. I don't think anyone will come across any of these things and be really shocked by what's there. Um, like I said, you'll have one of these and it's a random draw. So you have no pick or choose in this. It's really to challenge you to come up with something sort of crazy. Um, innovative is things that are more on the horizon. Things like educational badging, which we may or may not be familiar with. Um, maybe hands-on things. Um, things like thematic food or thematic cocktails related back to your mission or your collection. Um, talk back walls. So I can see some people nodding their head like some of this sounds familiar. If you end up with a card of something that you don't understand or you aren't familiar with it, by all means, that's why we have sort of me and Ron here. We can help you, you know, work through it. Or if you're uncomfortable with the topic that you end up, by all means, we'll trade your card. Um, but we're really the whole goal is to try to challenge yourself to come up with something different. And then everyday things, animals, beauty, grooming, um, you know, Facebook status updates, I don't know, things we do on a, on a daily, not maybe not all of us, but many people do on a daily basis, things that are sort of in, ingrained into our lives. Um, and the ultimate goal is to take these three things that you end up with and bring them together for a wild and crazy scenario, crazy idea. So for example, if I ended up with costumed interpreter, talkback wall, and family structure, what on earth could I come up with, right? How many people are like, ooh, 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 I have this idea and this idea, right? So the whole goal of this is to come up with as many crazy ideas as you can in the allotted amount of time. You're not going to get stuck on budget. You're not going to get stuck on the board approving it. You're not going to get stuck on getting, you know, the permit from the mayor or whatever you need to do. You're just going to dump it all. Write it all down or keep it in your head, whatever's easiest for you. Um, once you come up with those ideas, we're then as a group going to take a few ideas and kind of pull them back so that they're not quite so crazy and maybe there's something that you could literally leave here and do. So I'm stuck with these three. What am I going to do? I think I'm going to go to the mall. Okay, that's a good everyday space, right? And I'll bring a dry erase board and maybe I'll also bring uh, my little friend costume interpreter here, right? And we'll hang out by Macy's and we'll give people markers or stickers or magnets and we'll have them talk about their family structure. And then we'll have the next person talk about their family structure. And before you know it, our whole board will be full with all these people talking about family structure, right? And if I'm really smart, I'll also have brochures about my site there, right? Or I'll have uh, buy one, get one free ticket for free admission. So I'll be drawing people back to my site, hitting people where they are, doing something kind of wild and crazy. Or maybe I'll go to the grocery store. And at the grocery store, I'll drop in life-size paper doll outfits of what a typical husband and wife would have worn when they got married in X year. And I'll allow people to walk up and use their cell phones to take a picture, to put on their Facebook, and they'll start talking about what people used to wear. And then maybe to be really, really fun, I'll start installing it places all over the city. And then, you know, people will be taking these pictures and they'll be, you know, publishing them and they'll be on Flickr and they'll be on Facebook and then the newspaper will think it's cool so they'll cover the story. And then, you know, maybe we'll get some kids involved and we'll install it at the playground, right? I mean, it could go anywhere. Kind of crazy idea, right? Not sure we're going to be able to get the permitting for that, but you get whatever I'm getting at. And this is my totally wacky favorite one. So what if I were to, you know, just send a costume interpreter into a store, right? And what if he just talked about the difference between what he wears and what's for sale in the store? Or take that one step further. I bet we've gone by hundreds of vacant store, stores at this point, right? I mean, downtown in a lot of cities is kind of sad right now. Maybe you could strike a deal with somebody that owns these stores that you could rent the space inexpensively, 
and then literally every single thing that you're selling is historic. You're not actually selling it, and all the people working in the store are historic, and people walk in not knowing what they're getting into, and then you start to talk to them about what men would have were and their roles in families, and maybe you have them you know, write some information about their experience. So you can see these things are crazy, right? I mean, they're totally not what we normally think of. Um, so we're going to basically give out the cards, and you're going to go hog wild. Um, in, in the event that you get stuck on whatever your cards are, by all means, like, holler, we'll trade out your cards. Um, the ultimate goal will stop at, where's my cell phone? We will stop at, it's 425 right now. We'll stop at 45, I think is probably good, right? 15 minutes good, give or take, maybe 20 minutes. Um, and try to share some of our huge ideas and see if we can get the huge ideas down to that, yes, the board will fund it, yes, the board will say yes, yes, the staff will get behind it ideas. Does that sound good to everybody? All right, so if you want to work in pairs or you want to work as a table, you're welcome to. Why don't I walk around and hand out cards and then you can get started. <laughs>